Our scripture is found this morning in Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we begin a new series today, just a short three-part series, and this series is to men. Now, it doesn't mean if you're here and you aren't a man that you can check out. Uh, I'm convinced that you will glean some things that will be good for you, but what it simply means is that this series is specifically targeted to men. Why would we do that? Why would we do a sermon series that is specifically targeted to men? Let me mention just a couple of reasons to you. Uh, someone has uh, called men the largest unreached people group in the United States of America. And I would add to that the world that uh, in mainstream churches, mainline churches today in the United States, only 35% of those who attend are men. So that means that men have uh, uh, gone missing uh, in the church today. If you add to that uh, the uh, somewhat startling statistic that if a man comes to faith in Christ, Dave Murrow reported this in his book, uh, Why Men Hate Going to Church, if a man comes to faith in Christ, uh, 93% of the time his family will follow him. If a woman comes to faith in Christ, 17% of the time, her family will follow her. Uh, so men have a tremendous influence over the spiritual direction of their families. Men are absolutely critical. And I would say, as I said in the early service, uh, I realize as I begin this that there are those of you, and I admire you, of all the people who come to grace week in and week out, the people for whom I have the greatest admiration are wives who come, whose husbands do not, who live it by coming to church on Sunday morning and then have to live it out Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday in front of an unbelieving spouse. That is very difficult and hard work. And so to you, I say, good work. And some of the things that you will hear today, you are going to have to do. Because there's not a man doing it for your son. There's not a man doing it for your daughter. Or you can pray for God to send godly men into your kids' lives who will impart to them some things that your husband does not or will not. And so we are going to launch into this three-part series dealing with the three most important relationships that every man has. Uh, today we'll talk about a man's relationship with God. Next week we'll talk about a man's relationship with his wife. And then uh, two weeks from today we'll talk about a man's relationship with his children. I love how Jeremiah starts out. It's a fascinating thing that he does. He says, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Uh, but prior to that, Jeremiah has talked about, and by the way, men, you should have received a card that looks like this when you came in. You'll need that uh, 
toward the end of our time together. So uh, just grab that card, have it handy and ready to go. Prior to talking to the men, Jeremiah in verse 20 says, Hear, O women, the word of the Lord. Hear, O women, the word of the Lord, and let your ear receive the word of his mouth. Teach to your daughters a lament, and each to her neighbor a dirge. That's a funeral song. For death has come up into our windows. It has entered our palaces, cutting off the children from the streets and the young men from the squares. Speak, thus declares the Lord, the dead bodies of men shall fall like dung upon the open field, like sheaves after the reaper, and none shall gather them. Before Jeremiah addresses the problem or addresses men, he addresses a problem. And the problem is that the men have fallen in Israel. They have fallen. And he says to the women, you you need to write a funeral song and you need to be mourning because the men have fallen. I would say this to you as we begin this series that the uh, position of of men, the manhood, godly manhood has come under great attack, not only here in the country, but all around the world. And so when we look at manhood as God intended it to be, that has uh, been under great assault. And Jeremiah could have written today that uh, the the. the The dead bodies of men shall fall like dung upon the opened field, like sheaves after the reaper, and none shall gather them. If there is a place in society where men can be men and love God and love their wives and love their children, the church is that place. So in light of that, Jeremiah, who evidently knows men pretty well, talks about bragging. He says, let not the wise man brag or boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. And let not the rich man boast in his riches. Why would he do that? Because men like to brag, right? All men like to brag. I guarantee you if you go to the Y and there's a group of men working out and there's a group of women working out and they leave, as they are walking out, the women will simply walk out. But the men, as they are walking out, will look at themselves, look at the guy beside them. If they know them well, they'll try to one-up them uh, and talk about how much stronger they are than they, how they did more than they did that day. Men love to brag. And Jeremiah found the three areas that men brag about the most. What is it? He says, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. The wise man, the intellectual guy. The intellectual guy, the guy who is smart. Well, he's the one who gets made fun of in high school and then he gets revered at the high school reunion because his smarts got him somewhere. He is the guy who uh, uh, gets derided and laughed at until he has uh, graduated and, and, and made his money because he was smart. But it not only has to do with intellectual wisdom, it has to do with skill. Uh, the skilled carpenter would be included in this. The, uh, the welder, the, the guy who has a certain skill. Jeremiah says, let not that man boast in or brag on his skill. The word boast, incidentally, means to shine the light on, to put a spotlight on. So he says, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. And then he says, let not the mighty man boast in his might. What does that mean? The uh, uh, physical strength. 
physical strength. Uh, Josh and I were talking about this sermon, and, and he said something, and I agree with it. He said this tends to trace uh, men through uh, stages of our lives. When you're in your teens and 20s and 30s, guess what? You, you're strong physically. Something happens when you turn 40. I used to people, hear people say that and say, oh, phooey, until I turn 40. And then all of a sudden, things change and something happens and uh, you gain weight much easier than you lose it. Uh, it's fascinating how that happens and your strength begins to wane. And so at that point, you hope you got some money to brag about because you can't brag about your strength anymore. And so uh, uh, when you get older then, it's wisdom. You've seen life. You've seen it all. And so this is what uh, the, the, uh, uh, Jeremiah says. He says, let not the mighty man boast in his might, his physical strength. Uh, Trent and I especially uh, like to watch American Ninja Warrior. Anybody else watch that? All right, so it's mind-blowing what those people can do. Absolutely mind-blowing what these men and women can do. I mean, I tell you, I could not do one single thing they could do. Not one. I, I, I lie you not, I couldn't do the first jump thing on the, I just couldn't do any of it. But the other night, uh, we had been watching a couple weeks ago, and I walk into the kitchen, and uh, this is a man thing. I walk into the kitchen, and Wendy, uh, we have cabinets, and there's a distance between the cabinets and the uh, ceiling, and Wendy's got stuff up there. Like, it's all in her mind how it's supposed to be, and it's all fixed up there. And she's got a couple little lamps, and one of them had fallen to the side. And she said, honey, would you fix that lamp for me? Now, keep in mind, I've just been watching American Ninja Warrior. And so when I saw that, I saw it as an opportunity to try to put into practice something I'd seen. Well, that didn't occur to me first. I went to get the chair, and I looked at her, and I said, why am I getting a chair? I've been watching American Ninja Warrior. I don't need a chair to get up there and get that lamp fixed for you. And she dropped her head like, this is about to be ugly. And so I go, scale the countertops, and I'm up there, and I fix it, and then I get in some crazy stance up there, showing off my American Ninja Warrior, and she is rolling in the floor like, you are an idiot right now. Do you know most women wouldn't do that? They would watch it and go, oh, that's pretty cool. But guys, you see that, and what you got to do? You got to try something, you know? You gotta, I look at Trent's swing set differently now. I think... Could I go down there and do something on that swing set that's different like what I've seen? Uh, Jeremiah says, let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. And then he says, let not the rich man boast in his riches. Wow. Here's the reality is that most every man in the room, if not every man, but let me say most every man, adult man in the room has more now than you've ever had. Most of you do. Most of you, if you have a home now, there was a time when you didn't. Most of you own some things that you used not to own, and you have more now than you ever have. And it's so easy to boast in that, isn't it? It's so easy to get comfortable with that, to get comfortable with the bank account, to get comfortable with those things, the, the mighty man, uh, the rich man, the intellectual guy. Uh, Jeremiah says, do not boast in all those things, but let him who boasts, boast in this. Now, here's what I love. Jeremiah assumes that men are going to keep doing what? 
bragging. And he's right. Because men are braggers. Men are boasters. And so he doesn't say, quit your boasting. He says, let me give you something else to boast about. Let him who boasts, let him who shines a spotlight on his life, boast in this. What? That he understands and knows me. What does it mean to understand? It means to have insight into God. That he has insight. To know means to have intimate knowledge. Please hear me. It doesn't mean that he boasts that he teaches a class at church, or he boasts that he works on the security team, or he boasts that he gives a tithe. No. Let him who boasts not boast all of these other things are things This is a relationship. Let him boast, let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. He has insight into me. He has knowledge about me. He he knows me intimately, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and mercy in the earth, or righteousness in the earth. All right, so, so here are the bragging rights. There are three of them. That's what your card is for, men. So get your card out. There are three things I want you to write down today and make sure that you do it. Um, we got to deal with the word steadfast love. We say, Jerry, that's two words. In the Hebrew, it's one. And it's one of those words that's almost impossible to translate. As a matter of fact, if you read multiple translations, you'll see multiple different words used to describe it. Why? To translate it. Why? Here it is. Steadfast love. I'll give you the Hebrew word. I never do this, but it's a cool word called kesed. Q-U-E-S-E-D. Sometimes Q-U-E-C-E-D. Sometimes K-E-S-E-D or K-E-C-E-D. It's transliterated. But it, that's the one word in Hebrew, but it's, so, it's impossible to get it into English. Why? It involves three different components. It involves steadfastness, it involves strength, and it involves a commitment, love. So, if it were only steadfastness, it's great for for God to say, okay, I'm going to be with you, but if he's not strong, so what? Right? If he's going to be with you, but he's not strong, then okay, thank you, but for what? Uh, If it's just love, That's going to be sentimental and ooey-gooey and feel good. But if he's not strong with his love, then you can't have one without the other. That's kessid. So here's bragging right number one, men. Here it is. God will do whatever you need for as long as you need it because he loves you. Or if you write it in first person, God will do whatever I need. For as long as I need it, because he loves me. That's his steadfast love. So here's the deal. Some of you are sending kids off to college. And as you're sending them off, dads, you're able to sit down and have a conversation with them. And you may be proud of the fact that they're going to college, and you should. You may be proud of the fact that you have the money to send them to college, and you should be. You may be thrilled for how uh, you have been able to help them get to this point in their lives. But what can you give them that might last through their freshman year and their sophomore year and all the way through their senior year? If you could sit down with your kids and look at them, your son or your daughter, and say, listen, 
You're about to head into a brand new place, a brand new world with brand new experiences. Let me talk to you about that. There is a God who loves you steadfastly. He will give you whatever you need for as long as you need it because he loves you. I've experienced this in my life. And you just share with them how God gave you what you needed as long as you needed it because he loves you. That's something to brag about. Amen? All right, that was a week. Let's try that again. That's something to brag about. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's something to brag about. Not your bank account, not your physical ability, not your intellectual achievements. No, in a God who is able to do and will do whatever you need for as long as you need it because he loves you. Uh, Jeremiah says, let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices, who does again and again and again, practices steadfast love. And then he says, justice and righteousness. I'm going to flip those and how I'll deal with them because I think it's easier to understand justice when you understand righteousness. So let's deal with righteousness. What is righteousness? Righteousness is God's perfect law carried out by him and carried out by you. If you want to be righteous, do the right thing every time. That's righteousness. God's perfect law carried out by you or by him. It's his righteousness. If you carry it out, it becomes your righteousness when you're able to do that. Uh, What about God's law? Psalm 19 gives us some tremendous insight into God's law. Listen to this, what the psalmist has to say in Psalm 19, uh, verses 7 and 8. The law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Now here's what's interesting. When the psalmist wrote that, he was writing about Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He had no other part of Scripture. And he was saying about those first five books, they have great Great qualities and great benefits. Perfect, sure, right, and pure. And as a result, they revive, they make wise, they rejoice, and they enlighten. God's law is a good thing. God's law is a good thing. His law is good for you. So here's bragging right number two. Bragging right number two is this. Put that up for me, if you will, Cameron, so I'll say it exactly as it is. There we go. God will only ask me to do what will ultimately be good for me and glorious for him. God will only ask me to do what will ultimately be good for me and glorious for him. If you've been a parent any length of time, you have had to tell or ask your kids to do something that they didn't think was good for them. You've you've had to do it. I recall when Trent was maybe three or four months old that he became terribly ill. 
And we went to the doctor, and the doctor sent us straight to the hospital. And we get to the hospital, and they said to us, he's got to get an IV in. And it was so hard. And they tried one place, and they tried another. And so what I had to do was literally lay myself across him, hold his body down while he screamed in pain, and they got that IV, I can't recall, either in his head or in his foot. And I remember the whole time. Do you know what's going through my mind? Oh, I hope he forgets this. Right? I mean, common sense tells you he's three months old. He's going to. But everything in the moment says, ah, I just don't want him to remember this. I don't want him to remember that I helped inflict some kind of pain on him. But the pain was absolutely necessary or he was so sick he would have died. There's no doubt. He had to get well. And God sometimes does those things for us that don't make sense to us, that are painful. But they're always for our good and glorious for him. And so bragging right number two is bragging on a good God who is good all the time. That's his righteousness. His law is perfect and wonderful and good, but then he's also just. What does that mean? The justice of God means that he expects us as his people to be right with one another. You say, you know, the justice of God just kind of freaks me out a little bit, and I don't know that I'm really into justice. I'll prove to you you are, all right? 60 seconds, I'll prove to you you're into justice. How? Dylan Saladin, many of you know Dylan. He's a, a single guy here. Last year, he bought a new Honda Civic. Nice car. Three, four weeks ago, somebody decided, or accidentally, I hope, hit his car. He wasn't there. They left no note, and Dylan was stuck with the bill. His deductible is $500. So it costs much more than that to repair the car. So $500 has to come out of his pocket. Is that just? No. Everything in you says, that is so unfair. For Dylan, who just graduated from nursing school and just started his career, to work so hard for his money to have to pay his money out for what somebody else did, right? Week passes. Guess what happened? He's at work or somewhere again. Somebody hits his car again, doesn't leave a note, drives off, and he's now stuck with bill number two to repair his car. Is that just? No. There's nobody in here who's fine with that. We want that guy brought to justice, so what do we do? Well, when Dylan told me, we started a prayer group praying for whoever that was to wreck. I'm kidding. No, we didn't. Just making sure you're awake. Of course we didn't do that. Why would we not do that? Here's why. Because God is just. How so? Two times in history where God's justice stands up like a towering mountain against a backdrop of valleys. One is the cross. 
How so? God had a son named Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was born of a virgin named Mary, grew up and kept the law perfectly, never broke any of it, not any of it, kept completely fulfilled the law. Yet scripture says, wrap your mind around this, that it pleased God to pour onto Jesus his wrath against all the sin that you committed. God took your sin and poured it on his only son. Why? Why would he do that? Because he is just. And either you die and I die or Jesus dies. So Jesus, who knew no sin, who never committed any sin, became sin for you, that in him you might become the righteousness of God. And the only way that God can justly look on you and not see the sin you've committed is because all of that sin was dropped onto Jesus at the cross. I read about that this morning in my quiet time. Not the cross, the garden. Jesus in the garden is begging his daddy. He says, Father, if there's any way, let this pass from me. I don't want to go through with this. And it's one of those prayers you may have prayed before, like, God, I don't want this, but if this is what you've got, then God, I'll do it. And that was Jesus' prayer. God, I don't want this, but if this is what you have, then I'll do it. And he goes back to those three disciples that he brought in closer with him just to hang with him for an hour and pray. And they'd fallen asleep, and he says something to them. And he goes back again, and he prays again. Same prayer. God, I don't want this. Dad, Dad, don't stretch yourself out over me like this. Don't lay this on me, but, but it isn't my will but yours. Goes back. Disciples are sleeping, comes back. Kneels again, prays again, begs his dad again to let him off. So much so that his sweat becomes bloody as he begs the Father not to put your sin on him. Your sin and my sin on Jesus is bragging right number three. God will make all things right. He did it at the cross. But then some of you have the very good question, what about those people who never receive Christ? What about those people who deny him? What about 
ISIS in northern Iraq that's trekking down through and, and have ran all of those people up to that mountain. And their goal is to eradicate every one of them. There's a judgment day coming. Scripture's clear on that. There is a judgment day. And at that judgment day, every person who refused on this earth to bow their knee to Jesus will be held accountable for looking at the Jesus who prayed in the garden to be relieved of that heavy responsibility but took it anyway. Every person who said no to Christ will bow a knee there, but it will be too late. And they will spend eternity separated from God. There was justice on the cross. There will be justice on judgment day. God is a just God. I say this for two reasons. One is you should always, always be aware of who's sitting around you. Come to church and reach out to anyone you may not know. Two weeks ago today, a young man attended Grace. First time he's ever been in a Christian service in his life. As a matter of fact, he had flown in from Dubai where he had studied a year. He lives in Gaza. His house, just a couple of weeks earlier, had been destroyed. His family had fled in the conflict going on in Gaza. And he, who would have traveled home to Gaza to see his family before coming to the States to get his education, now found himself in the States early and ended up in Marion, of all places, before traveling this weekend to D.C. and then off to college. So he came up to talk to me afterward, and we went to lunch that week. We talked. Talked about his family, the plight of his family, the situation they're going through, the difficulty of it. We went to lunch again this week, and we got to talk about the gospel. His name is Muhammad. I said, Muhammad, why did you come back? He said, I don't know. I loved it. He said, as a matter of fact, when I was talking to my mom, she said, why did you go back to that place? Lots of moms ask their kids that. But at any rate, I I said, uh, he said, I don't know, Mom. I just wanted to be there. I said, Muhammad, do you believe that Islam is the only way to heaven. He said, yes, I do. And I was honestly glad he was there rather than believing there are all kinds of ways. That's hard to sort through. I said, what if I tell you that Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That was his claim he made. That puts you and me at an impasse, doesn't it? He said, yes, it does. 
I said to him, I completely respect where you are. Though the big difference between your faith and mine is that Jesus became that way. Muhammad, there's nothing good that I can do. Jesus did it. I can't be good enough. I can't carry out enough commands from God to be there. And unlike the extremist in his religion, God hasn't put it in my hands to make all things right. He says vengeance is what? Mine, God says. I will repay, says the Lord. And he will. So, man, you have three, three bragging rights, all right? It's no longer your bulging biceps or your bank account or your amazing intellect. We get to brag on God. It was just a few uh, months ago in April that... Um, Wendy pulled a good one on me. She never surprises me. And she did. We went to dinner. It was for my birthday. And we were sitting uh, with the Brinkleys, with Jeff and Nikki at P.F. Chang's. Uh, we're sitting there. Uh, it's for my birthday. We pray. And we finish praying. And when we do, there's an envelope that has magically appeared where I'm sitting. And I open the envelope and when I do, there are four tickets to the Masters. Now, I'm not a golfer. I've tried a couple of times, and it gets me a long ways from God. And so, <laughs> and the whole, like, it's just not good. But I love to watch it. It has always fascinated me. And the year before, I was watching the Masters, and I said, you know, if I had a bucket list, going to the Masters would be on it. And Wendy tucked that away. And Nikki had a friend, a family, who has had tickets in their family for years, and it fell to her. And guess what? She was tired of going. Amazing. She was tired of going to the Masters, and so she gave up her tickets to Nikki, four of them. We got them at just the regular uh, cheapo price, not what you have to pay for, just the regular, like, unbelievable price for the day. And so that night, we headed to a hotel. Uh, that very night, Wendy had all my stuff packed. She totally snubbed me on this one, and we headed off to the Masters, and I walk onto that course, and it's absolutely gorgeous, but what's what is just amazing with the course is there's a guy getting ready to tee off. And he's on the first hole, uh, and he's teeing off for the day, and his name is Bubba. Well, anybody with the name Bubba has to be good. I mean, his name is Bubba, but it's Bubba Watson. And Bubba Watson is good at golf. He's just good. And so we started to watch him play. And uh, we decided to follow Bubba and who he was with for several holes. And we're walking down this beautiful course and watching Bubba just play some amazing golf, having no clue that he would ultimately the very next day win the Masters this year. So when I get home, I have to look up this guy. I have to know more about him. So I look him up. And uh, sure enough, in 2012, he won the Masters. And he was interviewed by Christianity Today 
uh, or no, 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 about Decision Magazine. And so I look up this article about him in Decision Magazine. Bubba shared the story. He went to UGA, uh, went to youth group as a kid, but didn't come to Christ. Went to college, didn't live for Christ. Started golf, wasn't living for Christ. 2006, his caddy looked at him because Bubba would explode in anger and said, listen, either you get control of yourself or I'm gone. And it was the wake-up call that Bubba Watson needed. And so he and his new wife together were baptized. They gave their lives to Christ. They were baptized. Bubba tweets a lot. And here's his Twitter bio. Christian, period. Husband, period. Daddy, period. Pro golfer, period. All of that changed, he said, after 2006. He said, before then, it was all about winning. It was all, if I didn't win, I got mad, I got frustrated. But all of that changed, and when it did, that's when he said, these things got in the right order in my life. Even now, when he's doing really well before the Sunday of the tournament, he knows loads of people are following him on Twitter because they want to know, what is he thinking? Right before he tees off, and, and he'll tweet a verse of Scripture. Hashtag God is good. He's lost followers because they don't like the fact that he shares Christ in 140 characters or less, but he says he doesn't care. Why? All right, men, if you turn that card over, what does it say? If you ask five people, what is the most important thing in my life? How would they answer that question? Husbands, this is your assignment this week. Look at your wife. Say, honey, you're one of the five. Be, shoot straight with me. What's the most important thing in my life? In your opinion. If you're single here, many of you are. You've got some good friends. They'll shoot straight with you. Ask. It's just another way of saying, if you had a Twitter bio, what would be first on the list? Men, what would be first? Would you brag about all of your accomplishments or let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Dads, do your teenage kids you got to ask them, or your grown kids. Shoot straight with me. What's the most important thing in my life? Guys, your fiancés, your girlfriends. What's, what's most important? And then some of you after some honest conversation, we're going to have to rewrite your Twitter bio, aren't you? You're going to have to reword your priorities. That's what this song is about. We're going to stand and sing it right now.